The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen to the word of the Lord as it comes from Exodus 14, verses 19 through 31. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall from them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hands over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, the chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. And the Egyptians fled before it. The Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall from them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Prior to seminary, I was a youth pastor in California. At youth group, I would often lead them in contemporary worship songs on the guitar while one of the youths helped me with the vocals. Now, these worship songs were so catchy with their power pop chords and easy to sing melodies. I didn't always agree with some of the theology of the songs, but they were so moving. One of the songs we loved to sing was a song called Our God. The song was all about how much greater God was above anything else. The chorus said this, Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Our God is healer awesome in power, our God. And I'll say it again, it was such a catchy tune, and there is some theology in there that I agree with about the sovereignty of God. 
But man, it really felt like a my God can beat up your God kind of anthem. Now the students loved the song, but I felt so conflicted about it because it really felt like it promoted an us versus them culture. Then one of my middle school students told me that the song actually reminded them of a Veggie Tale song. Now that Veggie Tale song said, God is bigger than the boogeyman. God is bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. And I actually loved that comparison. I love the idea that God's sovereignty and love is bigger than the things we fear. And in that sense, I was able to sing the worship song, Our God, not as an anti-other religion song, but kind of like a protest song. Our God is greater than the injustices we see in the world. Our God is stronger than the powers that be. Our God is a healer and a liberator. Our God is love. Let's jump back to the passage. The Israelites are now on the move, but the Egyptian army is now following them. The Israelites are terrified. The people who have been terrorizing them are now chasing them, and if they get caught, they can only imagine what is going to happen to them. Some of them even yell at Moses, We told you not to rock the boat. You are going to get us killed. We were better off enslaved than dead. But Moses asked them to stand firm and to trust that God will deliver them. An angel moves in and brings in a cloud to separate the two armies. God commands Moses to stretch out his hands. And when he does, God sends a strong wind from the east that separates the waters. And the Israelites cross the sea on dry ground. Then Pharaoh's army in full-on panic mode and confusion, they enter the sea. But now the waters do not stay separated. And the waters sweep them up. The chariots, the drivers, the army, all of them swept up by the waters. This epic scene is one for the movies. The oppressed are now free and your oppressors are left behind deep in the waters. In this passage, we see God at work. God is the one who delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. God is their savior and liberator. God is bigger than Pharaoh. God is stronger than the Egyptian army. God brings a mighty wind from the east that separates the waters. Yes, God uses Moses and the Israelites had to respond to the call and walk across the sea but it's not their own doing that saves them. It's God's doing. In the next chapter, the story is retold through a poem, through a song of praise. They sing that because God heard their cry, God came and saved them. Friends, throughout scripture, we see a God who cares and liberates the oppressed. We see it in the Hebrew scriptures and we see it with Jesus in the New Testament. God cares for the vulnerable and uses God's people to bring good news to them. I believe that God is still in the business of caring for the oppressed. For God, oppression is like chaos. The mistreatment of human dignity is not what creation was meant for. In this story, God separates the sea with a strong wind from the east and the people walk on dry ground. 
Do you remember another scripture passage when we see God use wind and separate the waters to make dry ground? The same Hebrew words are found in Genesis 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And in verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. In Genesis, we see God bring creation out of nothing, out of chaos. And here in Exodus, we see God bring new creation out of the chaos that is oppression, hatred, slavery, and the mistreatment of the marginalized. God once again brought a mighty wind, separated the waters, and the people crossed into a new beginning on dry ground. But back to Pharaoh for a moment. Moses consistently asked Pharaoh to let the people go free, but Pharaoh consistently shot it down. Pharaoh's fear of the other, Pharaoh's mistreatment of the Israelites, Pharaoh's brainwashing of his own people, telling them that their Israelite neighbor is the enemy, brings their chariots to the bottom of the sea. Pharaoh's mind frame and actions led people to death. Old Testament scholar Anathea Portier-Young says, says it like this. It shows the end result of an economy built on forced labor, exploitation, and domination. In refusing to let God's people go, Pharaoh leads his own people to their grave. The gaze of God undoes his vision of mastery. The waters of new creation dismantle his chariots and drown the machinery of war and abduction. For God and for the Hebrew people, this was the beginning of a brand new start. A new story to bring, for, to bring forth. A new order after the chaos of oppression. In May of 1956, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached the sermon here in New York City on this same passage. His sermon was titled, The Death of Evil Upon the Seashore. This sermon was done at a special service to commemorate the second anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision to desegregate schools in the Brown versus Board of Education case. Dr. King articulates that this story is a symbolism for evil. The story is not about the death of Pharaoh and his people, for no one can rejoice at the death or the defeat of a human person, he says. Yet for King, this chapter symbolizes the death of evil. It was the death of inhumane oppression and ungodly exploitation. He discusses the realities of the evil of his time, like the evil of poverty, hunger, and racism in the United States and abroad. After acknowledging and lamenting that evil, he says that he sees glimpses of hope, glimpses of a gradual, continual parting of the Red Sea. For Dr. King, the Supreme Court's decision to desegregate the schools was a glimpse of the death of evil. He says, There were always those pharaohs with hardened hearts who, despite the cries of many of Moses's 
refused to let these people go. But one day through a world-shaking decree by the nine justices of the Supreme Court of America and an awakened moral conscience of many white persons of goodwill, backed up by the providence of God, the Red Sea was opened and the forces of justice marched through to the other side. As we look back, we see segregation caught in the rushing waters of historical necessity. Evil in the form of injustice and exploitation cannot survive. There is a Red Sea in history that ultimately comes to carry the forces of goodness to victory. And that same Red Sea closes in to bring doom and destruction to the forces of evil. What if we're living in a moment where the Red Sea is being parted or gradually parted as Dr. King describes? As evil, threats of violence, oppression, racism is chasing down the vulnerable, what if God is gradually, gradually separating the sea and using us as the mediators so that we can help the hurting cross on dry ground? What if God is using us a mix of people from all over the spectrum, people who hurt, people with means, and people in between to work together as God liberates those who are hurting. Like Dr. Portier Young says, the gaze of God undoes Pharaoh's vision of mastery. The waters of new creation dismantle his chariots and drown the machinery of war and abduction. I truly believe that God has this conspiracy to redeem all of creation, to continuously separate the waters and have people walk on dry ground. Are we listening when God wants to use us for this purpose? But here's the tougher question. What if at times we are the chasers? What if at times our hearts can be as hard as Pharaoh? What if at times with the way we can hoard money, with the ways we fear others and mistreat our neighbors, we are chasing our siblings and in a panic, we are heading towards the sea? That is a scary thought that we can actually be part of the problem, which brings evil to the world. And I struggle with this. I know that at times I can be the one charging in chariots. I'm still fighting within myself awful thoughts of stereotypes and prejudice. And if I'm being really honest, I can be downright racist against other people. My pride sometimes tells me the lies that I am better than other people. And when my heart is hard like that, there is the possibility of people being hurt. Yet we have an opportunity to do something that Pharaoh never took advantage of. We have the opportunity to repent. We have the opportunity to let evil die before we get to the sea. We have the opportunity to pray to God that God will change our hearts and to use us to turn us from chasers of evil to mediators of goodness and grace. Our God is bigger than evil. In Jonah's story, after the Ninevites let evil die, we are reminded that God is a gracious God who is merciful, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Friends, it's so much easier to accuse other people of being Pharaoh. But let us be aware of the ways that we are tempted to be Pharaoh ourselves. My prayer is that at any time that we begin to see or think of another person as less than us, that the Spirit convicts our hearts and reminds us that they too are beloved children of God and that we must treat them as such. As the sea is gradually being opened before us and we wait with anticipation for the herding to cross on dry ground, I leave you with the words that Dr. King used to finish his sermon. Let us not despair. Let us not lose faith in man and certainly not in God. We must believe that a prejudiced mind can be changed and that man by the grace of God can be lifted from the valley of hate to the high mountain of love. Let us remember that as we struggle against Egypt, we must have love, compassion, and understanding goodwill for those against whom we struggle. Helping them to realize that as we seek to defeat the evils of Egypt, we are not seeking to defeat them, but to help them as well as ourselves. God has a great plan for this world. His purpose is to achieve a world where all men will live together as brothers and where every man recognizes the dignity and worth of all human personality. He's seeking at every moment of his existence to lift men from the bondage of some evil Egypt, carrying them through the wilderness of discipline and finally to the promised land of personal and social integration. May it not be that this is entirely with the realm of possibility. I prefer to live by faith that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Friends, as the sea is gradually parting, and as you walk on dry ground, or help others walk on dry ground, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine God's face upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen. <music>